Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. As always, I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me is Josh Dooley. Josh, how are we doing on this fine Monday evening? Doing good, Gene. How's your weekend, man? Uh, it's pretty good. Yourself? Hanging in there. Hot boy summer. Ready to talk some football <laughs> and some CFP expansion. Absolutely. Hot boy summer is full go. And yes, like you said, there's been a bunch of talk these past couple weeks now of college football playoff expansion. Uh, if you listened last week, me and Matt Tamanini dropped sort of an emergency pod on you guys just talking about the proposal for a 12-team playoff. So if you wanted to hear more about the specifics of that and what that entails and what the committee is like looking at in terms of what they could be trying to enact here in the, in the near future, they're saying as early as 2023 these changes could take effect. Uh, you can go check that out. But Josh and I wanted to talk about more of what our thoughts are on the whole situation, what we think is the best ideal you know, for expansion, whether they should or should not expand, what the ideal number of teams should be, and things along that nature. So, Josh, we didn't really get to hear your opinion on the 12 since me and Matt talked last week. So just just to get things started, what did you think of the proposal that the um, the research group, whatever they're calling it, the working group the NCAA has put together has made in terms of a 12-team playoff with six automatic bids for the highest-ranked champions and things of that nature? Yeah, you know, first and foremost, I thought you and Matt did a good job of kind of laying it out in – I guess layman terms is the way to put it. There are a lot of intricacies that could go into it. And a lot of people, you know, looking at different scenarios of, Hey, what if Notre Dame's number one in the country, but doesn't win a conference and blah, blah, blah. So I thought you guys laid it out really well. And I gotta be honest. I, I really like the proposal. It's a proposal right now, obviously um, with the NCAA and college football is a separate entity things are not done until they're done. And so they're supposed to vote this week, I believe on Thursday and Friday, or at least they meet. And then we'll probably, excuse me, get an update. But as somebody who is not always in favor of what those two entities do, I really like this. I'd like that it's going to open it up. The way I look at it is teams should have a realistic opportunity to make it into a playoff if they're awesome. And that's not an eloquent way of putting it, But there have been a number of cases over the last, going back seven years now since it started in 2014, that the CFP has left deserving teams on the doorstep. And four is just sort of an elitist model, I guess, because it it resembles about 3% of FBS. And that's what I uh, talked about in Your Nuts for this week. So I like it. Eight would have probably been my preference. But there, there are some things within this 12-team proposal, and we'll get into, that I really do like. And it, it, really, at this point, any kind of growth would have been a step forward for me. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, yeah, as Josh brought up, me and him wrote about this for our Your Nuts article of this being recorded on Monday. So that just came out a little while ago where uh, Josh argues in, t- in favor of an 18 playoff, and I play devil's advocate and argue in favor of no expansion. And as we kind of talked about in that, you know, there, there's positives and negatives to expansion. Obviously, the big positives are that if you're not an Ohio State, Clemson, or Alabama fan, this makes it uh, makes your season matter a lot more. And in, in the current system, as Josh said, it's it's an elitist model. It, it's Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, and then there's really one open spot for like the next highest deserving team. And it's not really the most fair system because of just the balance of power in college football right now. There's not a ton of parity. This isn't the NFL or one of the major the major league sports where that you know a lot of teams are on even playing field it's it's disingenuous to argue that these teams are on even close to a level playing field obviously Ohio State Alabama Clemson and to some degree Georgia even though they haven't 
put it on the field yet are just miles above the rest of the world in terms of talent. And I don't know for sure if a, an expanded playoff will, will make it so that the talent gets dispersed. I'm hoping it will as more schools can, you know, kind of parade the fact that they make the playoffs in a 12-team playoff. You know, they, they could have that as a recruiting tool and maybe maybe talent gets dispersed out a little bit better. But right now, you know, it's, it's three teams at the top and then whoever is the unlucky team for the fourth uh, I wrote about today that the one versus four game, other than the year where the four was just Ohio State or Alabama that had a weird loss during the year, uh, it's been brutal for the four seed. It's they, they have they, I think the average margin of victory has been around twenty points. I think uh, seventeen is the average margin of victory for the one seed over the four. So there haven't been many close games, and there haven't been many close games in the college football playoff in general between even the two and the three or, and in the national championship game. So uh, that's that's going to be one of the struggles of expansion. I think but we can get into that a little bit more later. But I think as long as you're not like an Ohio State Alabama Clemson fan, who I think are made, I wouldn't say they have a gripe with it, but this, those are really the only fan bases where this doesn't really affect them all that much because they're, I mean, it does in the terms of now they're going from like they have to battle for a playoff spot where those teams are pretty much guaranteed. In the current four game, in the current four team system, those teams have pretty much made it every single year with the exception of, uh, I think Ohio State's made it four out of the seven times. Clemson missed it once in the first year before they really became Clemson and Alabama. Uh, has also only missed it once in a year where they lost the uh, to LSU in, the, in that uh, when LSU won the title. So, in a, a twelve team system, those teams are going to make it every single year, and those are really those fan bases may have their seasons devalued a little bit, but at the same time, you know it'll be it'll open the field. You get to see some cool matchups between those teams and maybe some teams they haven't really got to play. It's not always going to be Alabama playing Ohio State or Ohio State playing Clemson. It'll be you know they'll get to play some of those teams on the rise or teams that had maybe are having a really strong year, maybe like a Penn State or an Iowa State or one of those middle of the road teams that are just having a real breakout year, and you get to see some fun matchups that we maybe haven't gotten to see in college football over the last like decade ish. Yeah, it's about variety, right? You know, there has been, a, I don't know, I guess a large portion of the college football fan base that has sort of been turned off to the playoff in the last handful of years because their teams aren't able to participate. They feel deserving for whatever reason, and they get to see these repetitive matchups or these repeated matchups between the big schools that you already hit on. This will just allow for more involvement and you hit on it as well to level the playing field a little bit. One of the biggest things that I think was sort of a detriment to the current system or is a current, a detriment to the current system is the fact that some of the biggest conferences in college football and some of the blue bloods still don't have a chance. You know, you look at a a conference like the big 12, um, you've got Oklahoma, you've got Texas, you've got schools like that. And for whatever reason, the big 12 is not, it's not looked at as favorably in, in recent years, but they've still got a ton of talent. There are a lot of good kids playing for those teams, and this will now introduce some more of that talent into a postseason system that I, I hope brings back some of those fans that have been turned off in recent years because they do have those gripes, and they look at it as, as you know, what's the point? I, I see these four teams or these three or four teams play – year in and year out and my team doesn't get to play we 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 have to take our ball and go home so to so to speak so that's the biggest thing is bringing in some of these bigger conferences with some good pedigrees and you know allowing for that variety of matchup to where we can see something special happen see something unique that we haven't seen in recent years and it's going to introduce even more of those non-conference games the teams seem to be hesitant to schedule in the regular season because they're so fearful of a loss. 
Yeah, I think those are two really good points. In terms of like fan interaction, I, I think the casual fan of college football, maybe somebody that didn't go to a school with a football team and maybe just likes to watch and just see all the big matchups, it's probably not it, – it's tough to draw in more fans in a, on a given year when you – like they could just, like you said, look at it and be like, oh, well, I know it's going to be Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, so what's even the point of watching? To have some of that variety – you know, maybe get more people interested. You know, you'll get you always want to build interest in your sport. That's that's priority number one. The sport goes away if there's no fans to watch it. So that that's obviously the top priority. And I think this is a good step in that direction of kind of opening it up to more of the country. And then, like you said, the different conferences, the the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve have kind of gotten shafted these past couple of years just because they're looked at as not as prestigious as the Big Ten and the SEC. You know, on any given year, the the top dog in the Big Ten, which is is going to be, it has been Ohio State, probably will be for a long time. Is going to make it the the, t- the whoever wins the SEC. If it isn't Bama, it's still going to make it, and Bama will pr- still probably sneak their way in there, even if they don't win the SEC. And then obviously, you have Clemson out of the ACC. So the Big Twelve, you know, we've seen Oklahoma make it a couple times, and they've been boat raced every single time. So it's not helping the Big 12's case. <laughs> Uh, Pac-12 had Oregon make it. They didn't do so well. They they won the first round, but then they got boat raced by Ohio State in the national championship. So those conferences kind of don't really get the benefit of the doubt. And when there's only four teams that make it, you, you kind of you need a little bit of juice in your favor to get you into that playoff. So, like you said, hopefully this will bring a little bit more of a chance for those conferences, even the Power Five, and then outside the Power Five, some of these Group of Five teams. You know, it would have been nice like last year to see a team like Cincinnati, like Coastal Carolina, get a chance to play one of the big dogs and prove that they could hang around. You know, maybe they. They lose that game, but we saw Cincinnati hang with Auburn in the postseason. Uh, Coastal Carolina looked really good at the end of the year, and it would have been fun to see those teams take on one of the powerhouses. And if you could get an upset win, that that's good for the sport. That brings in fans; people want to see that. They had their whole you know mullets thing going in Coastal Carolina. That was a fun story, and it would have been fun to see in the playoff. I'm sure their fans would have loved that. I know in the current 12 team model, there is uh, talk of having you know some of the first round games on college campuses, which I think is awesome, and I think should have been a thing for a while where the first round games get to be played on the the, uh, the campus of the higher seed. I think that, you know, it's a way to bring in more revenue. It's a way to get fans. To, it it uh, incentivizes the team to get that higher seed, especially now if they move to 12, because you want to, you want to host that game. You want your fans to be able, they don't have to travel. They could, they could go see their team in person on campus. It'd be great. The atmospheres would be electric. So I think that's another fun aspect of this and something that could also, all of this is just about, you know, increasing the fanhood and getting more people involved in the sport. And I think this overall, it does a pretty good job of doing that. If you expand the playoff. Yeah, you hit on probably the biggest pro I have under this scenario, and that's the home games. I'm with you. I think that's an awesome wrinkle that they've introduced. I've been wanting to see something like that for years. You know, imagine, you know, say Ohio State does not make one of those top four seeds and they come in at number five, and a team like Florida has to come to Columbus for me, you know, come to Columbus to play a game in December. Um it's a completely different scenario than we've seen in the past, unless you have one of those early season matchups. So to get a raucous home crowd in there and making an advantage for a a higher seed, I think that that is, like I said, just an awesome wrinkle that they've introduced because I think a lot of people want to see that. I think people want to see Florida going to Columbus. I think they want to see these big programs that, just don't finish in the top four, still be incentivized to play a home game in front of a crowd. It's going to bring in money, money for the school, the programs, the conference, so on and so forth. So that's number one for me. And, you know, I think that if that comes into play, it's just going to make the playoff that much more unique because, 
you're going to have four teams receiving a bye again under the proposed scenario. And then you're going to have four teams with a home game. I see a lot of wins coming there, depending on how the matchup turns out. But So then you still end up with an eight-team kind of final tournament that has earned it. And they had an advantage built in for a reason. You know, they earned a higher seed. They should be incentivized. And the top four teams are incentivized as well. They get that early buy. So I don't think it is a detriment to those powerhouse schools and those teams that regularly finish near the top because there's still a built-in advantage for them, whether that's a buy or a home game. So I don't think there should be a whole lot of belly aching or, or griping on that end of things because they're going to have their own unique advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's it's very enticing to think about, you know, uh, Auburn going into Penn State and having to play a whiteout in December or Georgia going to Wisconsin and playing in the freezing cold right off the lake over there. And just those kind of matchups would be a lot of fun to see. It's something we don't get to see a ton of in the regular season. And if it's two teams that have made the playoffs and gotten their way there and are two strong teams and you get a good matchup, it'll be a lot of fun to see those on a college campus. Yeah, and, you, you know, shouldn't just, Yeah, you shouldn't see a team earn a five seed and have to go play in in a lower seed's backyard. And that happens in bowl games today. It happens right now in the current playoff where Ohio State has to travel to a Texas or a Florida and play a team that is essentially a state away um, as their home base. That's an advantage the other way, and it's really an unfair advantage. Yeah, for sure. We've seen a ton of these bowl games in New Orleans and Miami, and that's that's deep in the heart of SEC territory. And, you know, Ohio State fans travel really well, but for a lot of other teams, it's that that's going to be like a, an 80-20 split for the fan base for the SEC team. So it'll be good to get these games all around the country. I don't really like how they did it, how, they're, or how they've proposed to do it, where the top four teams get a bye, and then they play the second-round games in, like, the normal bowls. I think that, you know, they should still be incentive to be a top-four seed besides the bye. They should probably get to play their second-round game also on the home campus because you're kind of – you're making it uh, – you're knocking down kind of the top-four teams and not letting them have that chance. Like, if Ohio State wants to finish in the top-four, they shouldn't have to, you know, sacrifice getting a home game out of it and, like, try like want to be at five instead of one. So uh, I think they could kind of switch that around, maybe make it so that the top-four teams at least get to host their second-round game at their home campus, so you're not taking that away from them just because they were one of the top four schools. But I see how, you know, a top four seed playing at home is probably a huge advantage over a team that was in that 5 to 12 range. So it'll be interesting to see how they sort that out. But that was one of my one of my little bit of worries in terms of expansion. And just going back to, like, how I talked about your nuts, I played a little bit of devil's advocate and saying they shouldn't expand, and I gave some of the reasons why. You know, people may be a little concerned about expansion, and I think two of the biggest things are just the number of games played. You're getting close to an NFL schedule, and these kids, you know, they aren't paid. They're putting all these extra mileage on their body before they make it to the NFL, so that's clearly something that's going to have to be worked out, whether they take a game off the regular season or the, the spacing between the playoff games, whatever it is. That's something that has to be addressed and I think the other thing is just it comes down to parity. And like like we've kind of brought up earlier, like the games haven't really been close already with just four teams. And now we're expecting to have 12. So like I'm just a little bit worried that, you know, we'll get some good games in the middle, the six versus 11, the eight versus nine. Like those will be some fun games and there could be some upsets. But then when the 11 seed has to wind up playing the one or the two, are they going to lose by 60? So those are just two of my concerns. I don't know how they're really going to be addressed. But just looking at it, like I don't want to take down. I think it is. Overall, it's a good thing for 99.9% of college football, but there are definitely some issues with it that will need to be ironed out before they make this official. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to take into consideration the player safety 
aspect of things. Um, you know, spacing, like you said, I think is going to need to be looked at so that these guys are getting a break between games or an adequate break between games. And I like your point about the top four receiving a bye and then not playing a home game. Maybe that's something that they can continue to look at. Obviously, the almighty dollar, almighty dollar comes into play. They have to please those bowl partners. So they've got to look at the kind of network of bowl games and how they can maneuver that around. And maybe that is, you know, doing something different with home games, but any home game I think is a good step, a big step forward. So one of the other things that I wanted to touch on was just, you know, I think that some people have this impression or this feeling that the regular season will be decentivized. Um, because it's not every game is make or break. It's not, hey, one loss and you're out of this thing. But I think it actually will have the opposite effect. I think that it allows for some margin of error. It allows for a random upset. And it doesn't take these teams completely out of it. You know, Ohio State, the year they lost to Virginia Tech, for all intents and purposes, we thought we were done. We thought we were out of it for most of the season until we made a late run and obviously got in there and made special things happen. But what we've seen recently is guys kind of uh, kind of zone out or they opt out or they pursue to or they choose to pursue an opportunity at the next level. They say, hey, this was great. I'm done. I'm going to start training for the NFL. I think the margin for error increases so the teams that you know, maybe Ohio State loses to Oregon week two this year. I don't think it'll happen, but just, you know, to look at it from one way, say that happens, Ohio State still would have all the reason in the world to keep playing, win every game, and think that they've got a realistic chance of getting into this 12-team system. So for the people who say that the, the regular season won't have the same importance, I think it'll actually have the opposite effect and it may keep the level of competition even higher and keep guys around in school because they've got something to play for. They're going to be in it until the end of the season. You know, it's going to be 15, 20, 25 teams that have a realistic chance, whereas right now it's, what, seven or eight um, that take it into the end of the year. So I don't think that that's as much of a concern as people are making it out to be. Yeah, and I really like that take. And I was one of the people that kind of at the beginning of this and talking about the like, expansion to 12, I was a little worried about that. But the more I think about it, the more I think you're right and that it does it does more good than it does harm for that kind of thing. Because at the same time, you know, while Ohio State could now afford to lose a game and it's not, like you said, do or die every game. If you if you lose one, you're out. So it does it makes it takes a little less stress off there. You don't have to worry too much. But at the same time, it's going to make your opponents trying a lot harder because just because they have a loss or two doesn't mean that they're out. And a win over a team like Ohio State might be able to propel them in. So say you're playing, you know, a, a seven and two Indiana team where in a given year their season's over, maybe with a win over Ohio State, they're able to get themselves back in playoff talk. So it actually probably raises the level of competition against them and it will keep Ohio State on their toes and make sure teams like that, like the Alabamas and Clemsons as well, their their opponents are gonna be trying harder because they also now have a chance to make the playoff. You know, yeah, that those, those- back before like this this was talked about, like the winner of the Ohio State Michigan game when they were both like highly ranked, like the team that lost was out, and like that's just how it was. You know, it doesn't matter how good your team was. If if Ohio State would have lost one of those games when Michigan was ranked three or four, Ohio State probably would have missed the playoffs. And now, you know, you could get that game 
against a, a, a good team. And then if, you know, if it's close, it was a battle, you know, you flip of a coin, whoever won one has been that way in a while between Michigan, but just with that, or say Ohio state, uh, Penn state, for example, like that team has a lot to play for still if they lose that game. So I, I think it will raise the level of competition across the board. And I, I think it, it does, it doesn't desensitize anybody. Like I think, you know, obviously now Ohio state, Alabama and Clemson can afford to lose a game, but I don't think they're going to go out there trying any less hard than they would have if they had to make a 14 playoff. Yeah, you know, you hit on like say Indiana seven and two uh, under normal circumstances or under current circumstances, they're thinking, what are we playing for? The Outback Bowl, you know, like what's what's our reason uh, to go out there? Obviously, they want to beat Ohio State, but now rather than thinking about um, you know one of those pre New Year's games or something like that, they're like, yeah, we're seven and two, but we've got a shot at this thing. What if Ohio State's number one? We take them down. And, and we find our way into a Big Ten championship game, or we finish the season at 10-2, and two, but we beat Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan, for example, or something like that, their strength of schedule is going to keep them near the top, and they're not going to have to worry about the Outback Bowl. Maybe they end up playing in it eventually, but and nothing against Outback. But, uh, yeah, it brings a whole lot of um, interest into the end of the season. Whereas I, I think of um, it was a handful of years ago or more than that now, but, and, and maybe you remember this, but like Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette decided to sit out their bowl games. We saw a ton of it this past year, but that was probably pandemic related, but think back to that, that, uh, that year, a handful of years ago, what if we had this system in place, Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette, who were two all time greats in college football now they're in a 12-team playoff. Those guys aren't leaving school to go prepare for the pros, and we get another game of those transcendent players. We get to see them at least maybe one more time play in a game with some importance and with real stakes on the line. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually going to – that was going to be the point I was going to bring up just to kind of wrap up some of this. Is that I think this is huge for bowl season because as we've seen – in the last couple of years with the invention of the playoff, like the bowl season hasn't really meant all that much outside of the playoff games. Like they try pushing the New Year's six, but like I don't really care who wins like the, the pinstripe bowl if it's not a playoff game. So like now okay. some now that some of these games, you know, there's gonna be more playoff games, some of these bowls will become playoff games. Now, like you said, they have importance. We're gonna get to see these these upper level players that might have chosen to opt out if the game didn't matter for anything. Now they're gonna stay, you're gonna get to watch them play more, get to see them in these big matchups. Um, I think, I think it's really great. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that like, you know, bowl seasonal matter. Again, we've seen, you brought up a lot of opt-outs and a lot of them were pandemic related last year, but before that we've even seen it where, you know, guys just, there's no reason to put that extra game on your body if you're not playing for anything. And so now that these games will mean a lot more, we'll get to see these talents longer and, I think it'd be a lot of fun for everyone. I think it'd be good that, you know, I mean, I'm a college football degenerate, so like I'll watch the cheese it bowl, but like, I don't think anybody else is really, really cares if it's not a big matchup. So and even if it is like, even if it was like the seven versus like the 10, like, does anybody really care if it's not for a playoff spot? So now that those games will, they'll mean a lot more. It'll be, it'll be good. You know, there'll be more, more fun games to watch at the end of the year. Yeah. And you watch those, some of those bowl games that we've brought up, you know, they're half full. It's primarily friends and family and, the intended effect would and will happen. I mean, this is about money. There, there's really no two ways around it. That's what the NCAA's primary concern is, and and, and doubly so for college football. Um, you're going to have packed stands for these games with real stakes, and I think it's only going to be a good thing if they do it the right way. There are still intricacies that they need to work out, but I think it's going to be a financial boom 
for the NCAA and, and football as well with these historic bowl games really meaning more than they have in, in years past. You know, I think about um, the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl, for as long as I can remember, it just meant something. And it's going to be different because as a playoff game or one of those six games, whatever it ends up being, it's not necessarily going to be the Big Ten versus the Pac-12, but it's still going to have that aura around it. It's still going to be the Rose Bowl means something because it's part of this playoff picture. Whereas in recent years, again, the, the Rose Bowl and games like that, they've lost importance. I used to watch the Rose Bowl every single year, watch the parade leading up to it, things like that. And it's just kind of fallen off by the wayside because it, it isn't what it used to be. So it's going to bring back some of the uh, importance of those and maybe even, you know, introduce some new, some new games that are, are important year after year after year, as opposed to two bowl games and a semifinal that that's really all people care about. Yeah. And maybe we'll start to see some, some new rivalries form as teams get to play teams that they haven't played in the past as they get to meet in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, like, you put it better than I would have. You know, right now it's it's um, it's Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, and they're they've developed sort of a quasi rivalry because of their circumstance. But with twelve teams in it, maybe Oklahoma uh, plays Auburn two years in a row or something like that. You 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 put it very eloquently. It's going to reintroduce or introduce some potential new rivalries. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think it'll be a lot of fun, and I think it is something that it's not an if, it's a when, and it's a how. It's going to, you know, they're going to expand the playoff. It's just, will it be eight teams? Will it be 12? How are they going to do it? You know, I'm hoping with the new, some of the new NIL stuff and some of the more things to get players paid that'll kind of address some of the concerns about, you know, just length of the season, or maybe they'll take away a game of the regular season. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of just the length and just the wear and tear on guys' bodies, but that's really my main concern. But other than that, I think, you know, it's a good idea. It'll be a lot of fun. I think the players will like it and get, you know, it'll be nice to play some teams you don't really usually get to play. It'll introduce some some freshness to the sport that's kind of been dominated by the same three teams for the last couple of years. So overall, I think it's a good thing. Um, I'm in favor of it. Uh, I don't know how perfect the model is, but that's why there's people that are paid to make these decisions and not me. The other con that we didn't hit on, and I think it's very coincidental that uh, Notre Dame's athletic director was a big part of this, Jack Swarbick. They are one of the schools that has a gripe seemingly year in and year out. And with just the, the, the weight that they carry and the prestige that they've got, I see Notre Dame making an argument every single year. And they are one of those fan bases that, um, you know, can get on my nerves if I'm being honest, because they think that they're so special playing outside of the conference model and they deserve a shot every year because of their schedule. This is only going to, further advance that argument that's another con probably the only con that we really haven't hit on so far I don't know how you feel about Notre Dame um, but that's where I'm at yeah I think they've said under that the proposed system Notre Dame would not be eligible for one of those top six like guaranteed spots because they don't play in a conference and 
you know, I totally agree with that. My only argument against like Notre Dame is just join a conference or stop crying about it. Like join the, yeah. you, you played with the ACC this past year, join the ACC if you want, join the big 10. I don't care where you go, but you know, if you're going to, if you're going to complain about it, just join a conference. It's really, it's that simple. Like, I don't know why it, being an independent was cool like 50 years ago, but now there's really no need for it. And uh, I mean, there's, the Notre Dame has been like blown out in every bowl game they played. They, they didn't really, they weren't that competitive against Alabama when they made the playoffs this last year. Uh, the last couple of times they played Ohio state, it's been an absolute blowout. So I mean, if Notre Dame fans are really upset, just I go. I don't know what to tell you. Have your team join a conference. That's that's all it comes down to. I, they'll, I mean, they'll probably they'll make the playoffs under a twelve-team system most likely in, in most given years. But you know, if they don't start stringing some wins together, maybe not because there's nothing really to base them off of when you don't play against you know a set group of teams or a conference every year. Or and like if you're not going to play in a conference and you're not scheduling top twenty-five matchups, I don't know how we're supposed to judge your team. That's just what it comes down to. Yeah, maybe we'll see them get uh, blown off the field more regularly, um, you know, more so than they already have been in postseason play. Yeah, when they lose 42 to nothing to Cincinnati, I'm not going to hate it. That's all I'm saying. But other than the playoffs, the other big thing going on, obviously, with Ohio State is recruiting. Uh, it was another big weekend, as it will be every weekend in June this past one. Uh, a bunch of more blue chip prospects in town. And there's some uh, there's some a little bit of a rumor mill working this week. There's some potential booms to look out for in the near future. Uh, just some guys to keep an eye on. Uh, earlier today on the 14th, Monday the 14th, uh, four-star defensive end Wilfredo Ibar received three crystal balls in favor of Ohio State, uh, including Bill Curlick, Ohio State Insider, and Brian Dome, the national recruiting analyst at 247. Uh, he was on campus this past weekend. He's a guy that they're saying is rumored to potentially reclassify to the 2021 class. He's currently in the 2022 class, so that's a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, another one is Curtis Neal. He is a three-star defensive lineman in the 2022 class. He was just at Ohio State this past weekend, and he had tweeted the other day that he's ready to make a decision, and that's just after coming off his Ohio State visit, so that's another name to potentially be on the lookout here. He's got two crystal balls, one for Wisconsin, one for Ohio State, so I don't know what where that's come from. He's from William Amos Huff, which is the same high school that produced Evan Pryor. Uh, so that's another name to look out for. And then obviously the big one this week is JT Tuimalau, uh, the guy you've heard about forever, five-star defensive end in 2021, the number three player in the country, number two defensive lineman. Uh, he will be on campus this weekend for his long-awaited trip to Columbus. Uh, he, it's between pretty much uh, Ohio State and Alabama at this point, so that'll be a huge visit for the Buckeyes, and that, that's another name. Uh, I don't know if Ibar is confirmed going to reclassify to 2021 or if he will wind up with Ohio State, but Tuimalau is definitely a 2021 guy. And he's the, the biggest remaining target on the board, clearly. Yeah, all three of those guys that you brought up, to are on the defensive line. And that's something that we hit on last week. It's a position of need. Maybe not on the surface. We're very top-heavy. We've got a lot of experienced guys on the roster right now. But there's going to be some roster churn. We're going to turn that over. So it's a positive thing to hear those three guys all – well, we know JTT's interest. But to hear uh, some rumblings – is definitely in Ohio State's favor. You know, I want to touch on JTT. Neither of us is an insider, really, but he is a guy, and maybe it's just been his recruiting process, but he is a total mystery to me. I have no inclination as to whether or not he's leaning Ohio State or Alabama or some other school. You know, I want to get your feedback on this. His whole recruitment has been very odd, uh, more so because of the pandemic and uh, the circumstances that we're all in or we all have been. Um, what's your gut tell you about him, about JTT? 
Yeah. So even before all the pandemic stuff started, he's he's a tough guy to get a read on. He really only talks to one guy out of the West Coast. I believe Brandon Huffman from 247 Sports. Uh, he plays things very close to the vest. He's not one of these guys that's, you know, out there like CJ Hicks on social media, you know, giving you every detail of what's going on every day. He He's kept this, his whole situation very private, which, you know, good for him. It's his own prerogative to do that. He's a high quality recruit. He, he's doing everything on his own time and doing things the way he wants to do it. So obviously that's the way things should be. But yeah, I mean, it's gonna it's a tough read. Ohio State gets his visit this week. I think Alabama is coming shortly thereafter, so it is tough for him. It's gonna be tough to see him go to Alabama afterwards and maybe get that last look. And maybe you know Nick Saban could pull the rug out from Ohio State and snatch him late. But he's been a guy that's been you know pegged towards Ohio State for a long time. All of his crystal balls are still in favor of Ohio State. They're all pretty low confidence, mostly five or under. But they're still all in favor of Ohio State. He's been leaning Ohio State for a while. He's got a good relationship with Coach Larry Johnson. He'd obviously be a massive addition next to Jack Sawyer. That would be an awesome defensive line class for Ohio State, having those two guys in the fold. That would be, you know, your two future starters at defensive end in the next couple years. So, obviously, Larry Johnson, Ryan Day, and all those guys would love to get him on campus, love to add him to this class in 2021 that was already filled with talent. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. I don't really know. I haven't, I haven't obviously talked to him. He doesn't talk to many people, so it's, it's tough to get a read on. We won't really know which way he's leaning until probably he commits. So it'll be one of those things where he's going to make a decision between those two big schools. I mean, Washington still, well, the state he's from, in-state Washington Huskies, they're, I guess, still a little bit in the mix, but I don't think really, I don't think they have the kind of same pull as Ohio State and Alabama do, even though they're trying to get him off the West Coast. But yeah, I don't really know. I think it's going to be one of those things that just comes down to the wire. And, you know, maybe this Ohio State visit is 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 key, you know. And maybe if it doesn't go, like, almost perfectly, then Alabama has a chance to snatch him. But I think, you know, it seems like every single guy that's come to Columbus these past few weeks has loved every second of it. And Ohio State's been rolling out the red carpet for these guys that they really want. And I'm sure they'll do all of that and more for this guy who they've been trying to court for the better part of the last two three years. So it'll be a big thing to watch this weekend. We'll see how that goes. I'm sure we won't really – hear much from JTT, but maybe some of the other guys that are around there will fill us in a little bit, maybe get the rumor mill going again, but we'll see what happens. You know, it's, it's going to be one of those things. We're just going to have to wait. I don't know how, I don't know when the last day you're allowed to commit in 2021. I thought it would be, you know, December when everyone else did it, but I guess not. So whenever he commits, that'll be, you know, that'll be it. That'll just be when we'll find out, I guess. Yeah. And Ivar, we, you hit on him. He's kind of been, it's sort of the opposite scenario with him. I have not heard his name a whole lot. I don't know about you. Um, but it seems like his name has kind of come out of nowhere and it's getting a lot of momentum towards Ohio State, whereas JTT has been talked about forever. This Ibar kid kind of came out of nowhere as far as I'm concerned or as far as I know. So that could be one of those unexpected surprises in a good way um, as opposed to, you know, losing a guy to, to get a commitment from somebody who has sort of flown under the radar. He's, he's rated very highly. I don't know a ton about him if I'm being honest, but – that could be one of those pleasant surprises that comes out of nowhere and further helps that depth across the defensive line. Yeah, he's been he's been a bit of a late bloomer. He was a three star recruit at one point. He's moved up to a high four. Um, and yeah, I haven't I previously until like the last couple of days I hadn't really heard his name in connection with Ohio State that much. But clearly his visit went really well. He really, really liked what he saw there. He is the number one recruit out of Connecticut, which isn't the biggest most fertile recruiting ground, but is, uh, you know, Ryan Day's OG turf. So I'm sure he gets some pull around there. I'm sure they, he knows that area pretty well. Um, and yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't know the full story about why or like how he reclassified at 2021. I don't think that would obviously impact JTT Malau if he, that, he was to make that change. They obviously like to bring in him, JTT and Jack Sawyer and have a, a huge defensive line class uh, pretty late in 2021 to pull all those guys in. But 
uh, yeah, it'll be uh, that's another another piece. We talked about Ohio State needing defensive ends, and those are those are three guys there that would be huge pieces for the future. JTT is just a name that uh, I'm going to have to practice and work on, but I'm not going to really put too much effort into it until if or when he commits. You're you're carrying the team as far as I'm concerned. You've nailed his name. I'm just going to keep referring to him as JTT until we get a boom from Mark Pantone. Yeah, ideally we'll have to learn how to say that name for the next three or four years. But, uh, you know, I guess <laughs> only only time will tell in that regard. But I think otherwise, I think that's pretty much our show. Do you have anything else you want to bring up in terms of, you know, college football playoff or recruiting, Josh? No, I'm glad we got to discuss the CFP expansion or the potential of it. I think that's a really positive development. I can't wait to see what news comes out this week after they meet Thursday and or Friday or both. Um, so looking forward to that and the recruit, the, the visits are going to slow down. We, we had our biggest weekend of the off season, I would say, but I think, I think things are looking good for Ohio state as they usually are. And I, I'm just looking forward to starting to get those booms on social media and see those announcements and, and start, uh, really studying up more on some guys. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, come, come early July, late July, I think we'll start to see, that 2022 class and then the start of 2023 really start to take form with some of the booms upcoming. But yeah, that'll be our show for today. Uh, be sure to like us, download us, rate us, all those good things wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'll be coming at you every Wednesday this offseason with the latest in Ohio State, whether it's recruiting, basketball, football, all that good stuff. And so for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, and we will see you next week.